1: Pace with Alex and Fauci Alex and Fauci Alex and Alex If I put our jacks in the paint How you gon' stop me? How you gon' stop me? We can go head to head Call out your top three Call out your top three Look at the switch from Dorte. Now that boy got three We got Holly Burton running point This is the Benedict for the shot If anybody gon' come in the post Then we got Jalen Smith for the block Setting the pace, going to the top Setting the pace, going to the top This is your number one podcast Sweeping every team We gon' need a mop Hey everybody, what's going on? Welcome back to another episode here of Setting the Pace. I'm your host, Alex Golden. Michael J. Focci will not be joining us today. He is on vacation. Not sure where exactly, but if I had to guess, it's probably somewhere in the Washington, D.C. area because we know Focci cannot get away from the state's capital. But with that being said, Scott Agnes is going to do a great job filling in for Focci on today's show because every time Scott's on, we always have terrific Pacers basketball conversations. So, with Scott, we're going to talk about multiple topics, about the current team, about the future of this season, uh, the future of next year, who who could be on this team, who could be on the move, what vets make sense to keep, what about the bigs, the the guards. There's just so much to talk about this team, so really enjoyed that conversation with Scott. But then after that, we're bringing back our Fan of the Week. This time, we've got on basketball coach, Coach Clint. Clint's going to be coming on, talking about his Pacers fandom, share some of his hot takes and stuff like that. So if you want to be a fan of the week, hit us up on Twitter at Setting the Pace Three, or on Facebook at Setting the Pace, on Instagram Pacers Talk. Let us know you want to be on the show with us, and we will do our best to get that scheduled. And we're going to try to make this segment continual for the rest of the season, but maybe even into the off season and the rest of the year. So just keep an eye on that. But if you want to be a fan of the week, we love meeting our listeners. But let's go ahead and take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll join with Scott Agnes and myself for a fun conversation. All right, everybody joining us now on Set in the Pace. He is no stranger. You guys know him very well. Does a great job covering the Indiana Pacers for Fieldhouse Files, per Rick Carlisle as well, but the insider's there. Scott Agnes, what's going on, buddy?
2: Hey, good to be on with you again, Alex. Happy Friday here, and uh, it's crazy to believe the season's winding down here, basically one month remaining.
1: Yeah, I think we have 15 games left, and Tyrese Halliburton trails Mark Jackson's uh, assist record by just 150, so he only needs to average 10 assists a game. He just had 19 against the Rockets, so I- I'm going to put you on the spot here and start things off because you know I love doing this to you. You think he, you think he ties or breaks that record?
2: Needs 10s a game, yeah, he'll beat it.
1: Yeah, he only needs 150 more for the remaining 15 games. and
2: Yeah, I'm not, not too worried about that then, if that's the case. other Bearing an injury, there's no reason he won't get it.
1: Yeah, and I actually I was kind of surprised that he played was it, was it Tuesday? No, I think it was Monday. No, sorry, Sunday that he got hurt against the Bulls towards the end there.
2: I yeah, Patrick him. Beverly. <laughs> what is he doing, man? Yeah, I'm I know. I enough.
1: I was afraid he wasn't going to play against the 76ers, and then obviously that game was pretty fun back and forth, a lot of offense, no defense. And then the right. Rockets, I mean, that game right there, Scott, that was just a wild game. Tyrese Halliburton has more assists than the Rockets' entire team has, but the Rockets out outscore the Pacers in the paint like 82-58 to 58. They out-rebounded like, 16 points. But the Pacers had more three-pointers made, 18, than the Rockets attempted 17. So, I mean, just a wild back-and-forth game, and kind of surprised that it went into overtime. And don't know if you know this or not, but that was the first time Miles Turner has fouled out in back-to-back games.
2: Yeah, it was weird, because Philly, you expect it, really. Like, if he's out there enough time with Joel, he's going to foul out. Like, almost every big, I feel like, against him will. But this was a strange one, and because you have a younger team a, a team that doesn't have that size necessarily that for miles and so to see him I almost need to go back and watch each of those fouls to kind of have a better understanding of what went wrong because that was that was weird to see him you know fall out I think it was like 90 seconds 2 minutes left in the game and so they had to play the final minutes plus overtime uh without him and you know he's big in pick and roll and pick and pop and and just having a rim protector there now ultimately it didn't matter but uh, yeah, that was definitely a, a new one for Miles this season and a season of uh, a lot of newness, for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's been an awesome season for the most part for Miles. And anytime you face Joel Embiid, I mean, come on now. that That's just a tough matchup. And I think everybody that I've seen in the Pacers uniform go against Joel Embiid has struggled. So that's just the kind of player, and that's why he's an MVP candidate. So, you know, you can't really knock Miles there. I know a lot of the Miles haters were coming out strong <laughs> talking about that game against Philly. Were they? Like, Be-
2: I do laugh about that because it's it seems like, in a good way, they've been quiet. Those, they those select few on Twitter who, he's worthless, can't get more than six rebounds, trade him already, he's a diva, have not really shown up in my comments in the last several months at all, and I totally understand why. His, Miles is elevating his game and playing better than ever. Not perfect. Yeah. He's still on some off nights, as we just talked about, but uh, much improved, and I think this is where you've... Now it makes me, in hindsight, want to go back and think... You know how much was the Pacers really limiting Domas and Miles? Like, how much better would Domas have been if Miles wasn't out there full time with him?
1: Yeah, I, and I kind of agree with that. I, I was kind of excited to see what that be like, but I think we're kind of getting an idea of what that looks like out in Sacramento. And look, the Kings are third in the Western Conference. They've been playing pretty good basketball now. If you want to believe in them as a contender or not, that's your own choice. I think that's that's kind of tough to do. I think Zach Lowe is pretty high on them as like they're one piece away from being a legit contender. It's like maybe they are, maybe they're not. I I think it's too early to tell with a young team like that, but got to love what they're doing out there. But yeah, for Miles, it's just, it's funny because I use Facebook mostly to share the podcast, Scott, nothing more than that. I don't really get into the groups and comment, but I get all the stuff on my newsfeed because I'm in these groups. And man, it's just that game. It was like the Miles haters were coming out ready to, uh attack because it was like so many posts about it. i'm like really guys like it's like we we lost a game with like what four points and and miles fouling out really didn't have that big of an impact on the outcome of the game i mean maybe a little bit but i i think that it's just it's been pretty quiet and with it being so quiet scott i think that's fans are just bound uh, you know pouncing on that opportunity just for a chance to to knock them down if they hate him.
2: Yeah. And generally, you're not going to have people leave comments and say, hey, amazing show or hey, what an amazing game. Right. All comments generally skew negative. You're motivated enough to leave a bad experience. Right. You go to a fast food restaurant, have an awful experience. You're probably going to give them feedback versus an amazing time and you'll just walk out of there and tell no one. So that does not surprise me at all. Um, Those that criticize him with the Joel game, yes, he could be better. He'll admit that. But I also encourage those fans to maybe watch Joel against other people and how he dominates them just as badly. So uh, he's playing an excellent game. I'm still not a believer in Philly. Uh, They haven't proven to be a contender in my eyes in the big picture. So uh, Joel is excellent, but I'm – I cannot believe in uh, Philly just yet. I need to see a lot more.
1: Yeah, they're a hard team to like, Scott. I won't lie. And I usually don't care too much um, about teams that I'm watching besides the Pacers. You know, I don't like anybody playing the Pacers in that game. But, you know, when it comes to other teams, it's hard for me to like them. I don't know what it is, but I just find them rather annoying. But I want to move forward here talking about the Pacers' upcoming schedule because they are going to be on the road for a little bit. They do have a home game against the 76ers during this long stretch of road games but they play the Pistons on Saturday and Monday then they're in Milwaukee on Thursday I'll be at that game I'm going on a little vacation there so that'd be fun then they're back home for for Philly then they're on the road to play Charlotte and start another road trip there so looking at those five games I think it's a a pretty good chance for them to go three and two and and try to make a push for the play-in if they're really wanting to do that but I'm curious your thoughts on the upcoming schedule there and, and what you think is the most likely outcome
2: yeah i would agree um i try to separate the conversation between winning and playing because i think the latter the playing the playoffs rather uh, irrelevant to the to all this yes there is some value in some of these guys getting experience but more than anything i think it goes back to trying to continue to build the climb of this culture of the principles and what they're trying to instill in these guys while also for hopefully the final time in like a decade, having a really good lottery pick. That can be incredibly valuable, especially in this draft, which the Pacers are very high on from 1 to 30 plus. And so I also see real real value in that. Um, In terms of the short term, yeah, I think they'll at least get one in Detroit. Should probably get both with the way the Pistons are sputtering. And I think another player was Isaiah Stewart now out for the season, likely like there's four or five guys that they've really – um, shut down and, and really moved on to the bigger picture here. So the Milwaukee, they haven't beaten Milwaukee, I think, but once. And that one's when Giannis had a kid and didn't play in Indy. And that was it in the last like five years. So that's probably a 20-point loss coming if they're mostly at, at full strength.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's going to be tough. And then, you know, coming back home to play Philly again, that'll be a fun rematch. We'll see how that goes. It's on a Saturday night, March 18th. And then back on the road for another four-game trip, and this is where I think it's going to be really tough. You got Charlotte, who's playing a little bit better, but they're still, you know, a bottom four team in the NBA. Then you've got at Toronto, at Boston, at Atlanta. That's going to be a, a really good stretch there for the Pacers to try to string together some wins if they're really wanting to make, you know, some progress here in that that side of things. But I, I think I'm with you, Scott, mostly. Getting another lottery pick to go with this young core I don't think this young core is going to be out of the play-in picture moving forward into next season and and following seasons after that because I just think Tyrese is too good and the surrounding pieces are too good. But if you get one more lottery pick, preferably top 10, I think that really could help with this team's growth in terms of overall talent and just their ability to maybe climb up in the standings and, and really get a chance to kind of prove themselves as a Playoff team in the Eastern Conference, maybe not a contender right away, but at least a, a solidified playoff team.
2: Exactly my line of thinking here is you want that top 10 pick. You never know uh, what other picks you'll end up with. Hopefully the Rockets, for the Pacers' sake, will end up with 31 or 32. So then you're looking at four picks in the top, whatever, 31 or 32 there. I think they'd package at least a couple of those and try to get a, a additional higher pick, or maybe you go and try to get even uh, you know, a, a much higher pick You know, pick four instead of 10, let's say, um, and try to add value there if you're really a believer uh, in a guy. And they just don't have the roster spots this season to add five more rookies uh, or anything like that to the equation. On top of that, I believe I probably said it a lot with you on your show is I think they need to leave one roster spot empty for flexibility as they grow, whether it's to bring a guy in and reward him after a a great time with the Mad Ants or bring in, you know, a guy from another team, that has excelled and needs a an opportunity to show what he can do. So uh, the good thing is, and I was asked about this earlier this week, is who's the core? I think it's simple terms. It's Halliburton and it's Matherin. Yes, there's other guys very likely part of the future. But to me, you have two core pieces. You need to add at least one more guy in this draft, ideally two, and that's where you take off from. And then things could get really interesting this summer, uh, depending on where you add the spots. And and if you try to shake up this log jam in the backcourt, like they similarly did during the trade deadline in the frontcourt.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of ways I want to go at this year, but I mean, I'm looking at next year's roster and we know the free agents that are coming up are George Hill, James Johnson, and O'Shea Brissett. I think that's the only three that are going to be free agents, if I'm not mistaken, that are unrestricted. So that's going to leave three open roster spots as well, but you know they could have interest in bringing all three of those guys back because of their value to the team in terms of leadership roles, veteran roles, and then O'Shea, uh, really good friends with Tyrese Halliburton, and you know they don't there have you a go. lot of wings. Right, so. Now you're
2: thinking, yep, yep. So <laughs> that's one angle you cannot discount. Is this franchise is doing everything they can to empower Tyrese, but also make him comfortable. And one of those things is who are two best friends, James Johnson, O'Shea Brissett. Neither one of those guys were cut and went away during uh, a trade deadline. I do think there's some overlap with George Hill and James Johnson. So I really don't think you need or should bring both of those guys back. I like everything both guys have done. George Hill wants to play another three or four years with this franchise and then work and help run this franchise. So I would tend to expect that to happen more likely than not.
1: So you think he'll be around?
2: that's his intention he would he he has plans to go nowhere he wants to retire a pacer and then work for this franchise in in a number in a in a, in a more of an advisory capacity yeah. not as a coach not as a scout none of that
1: yeah i remember him saying something about like part ownership as well like what dwayne wade kind of like paved the way that's what that he continues
2: to bring up yep that's exactly what he'd yeah. like the trouble is can you actually get ownership to give up a, a piece of the pot even if we're talking half percent a 1% stake <laughs> Yeah, you know, if you're Herb Simon or Steve Simon, there there's reasons you would consider that, but there's also reasons. Hey, no, we're doing just fine. Thanks, we're good. No, <laughs> we'll pay you, but we're not giving you ownership. So yeah. that's something they'll have to work out. But that's not until George has officially retired either.
1: Yeah, and I, I know this is kind of random, and we don't really talk about this too often, but just kind of, just to kind of like refresh people on the ownership situation. Obviously, Herb Simon is the owner. I feel like he's been in a lot more games this year than prior years. Maybe that's just me from what I've seen, but I've seen him there quite a bit when I've been at some of the games, especially early on this year. And, you know, the the transition kind of explain what that transition might look like in the future.
2: Yeah, so Steve Simon, one of his sons, is very much involved, in, and that's nothing new. He has been probably for at least a decade. Uh, My understanding is he still lives full-time in San Francisco, uh, but commutes here an awful lot. Both of them were in all this week, to my knowledge. They were at David Benner's Benner's memorial service. They were at these last couple of games. They were courtside, or Steve was, uh, with a couple of guests courtside with 50 Cent, talking with him at halftime uh, in the Philadelphia game. So they are involved. The plan... Herb says is for Steve to then take over and and replace him as owner full time when whenever he's done. But uh, right now, it's absolutely Herb's team with Steve having a lot of influence in in many other ways Um, from from the, you know, I'm guessing the marketing and business and finance and those different. Uh, ways and he's obviously very involved fans can follow him on twitter and he'll often reply to a, a pacers tweet after they win or lose and and have some funny things to say and i appreciate that because we get that from the Colts side with jim or herb simon i'm sure he doesn't have twitter doesn't want twitter doesn't follow it he's probably alerted to things that go on there but steve's uh, absolutely involved in and in on twitter on on instagram and keeps up with everything as you would expect for a younger owner
1: And I know there was some fear that the team might be sold or move locations. Have you talked to Steve at all? And maybe is he firm in keeping the Pacers here in Indianapolis?
2: Have not addressed that directly with him, but the Pacers uh, several years ago renewed their contract with the city and and the field house and, and the agreement for the St. Vincent center um, for that to essentially later become, you know, uh, city property, uh, although it's a privately financed type building. But there, are, yeah, there's no concern on that front whatsoever. They, they believe very much so, like most small market owners, that they want to keep it in, in their city. And um, one of the proudest moments, I think, for her was to be able to rescue this franchise with Mel and then keep it here all the way back since the 80s. So that's something they are very proud of uh, as a family and have deep roots here as well when it comes to work.
1: Awesome. Yeah. Now that's, that's just interesting stuff. We don't talk about that angle too much. I was just, since we were kind of on that, talking about George Show with, you know, maybe a half percent ownership, I thought might as well just kind of get clarification on that because it is. Something that I know it still gets talked about sometimes with different NBA podcasts, like teams moving and different ownership. We've seen a lot of stuff happening. So, you know, yeah, Simon, no concern,
2: I think, with this franchise in terms yeah. of, you know, moving
1: or being uprooted or anything like that. I, when,
2: where I do think we will see expansion here in a couple of years after the next TV deal.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, with the expansion, that'd be really interesting. And I'll, I'll, we'll we'll get to that another time, Scott, but. <laughs> that might be in its own podcast in itself, to be fair. Yeah. Like what players would you protect versus which ones you wouldn't, you know, that'd be, that's always a fun little thing to do. We usually get that question once or twice a year on our mailbag podcast. So uh, I always find that one tough and it always changes because it feels like the roster is ever changing, but, you know, I want to get back to the roster a little bit. Obviously we saw Benedict Mathern go down with an ankle injury. Don't feel like there's been an update on at all on that, but he did not return to the game. And uh, you've been pointing that out all year, him and buddy are the only two not to have missed a game this season. So are you expecting this to be a severe thing or, or just kind of a thing they're going to just monitor and be cautious with?
2: I, I think it'll be more severe than not. Meaning I, I think it would probably be from what I saw, it suggests you're going to be out several weeks at least. I mean, mm-hmm. that was a badly sprained ankle. Uh You know, to quote Rick Carlisle, I think earlier in the year with Chris Duarte, that was a tough break or a tough, tough role uh, with all that. And Chris, of course, missed six weeks. Well, if that's a similar thing here with Ben, he's done for the season. Now we'll see uh, what it ultimately becomes here um, in all of this. But uh, I think it's definitely alarming. It wouldn't surprise me if he stayed behind and did not join the Pacers Friday afternoon on their flight to Detroit where they'll spend the next four days. Um, before returning home but that did not look good and and think this is my telltale point benedict is so tough he's physical he needed to be carried off the floor that's how much pain he was in Mm -hmm. so my guess is here um it's not minor but it's not anything too significant at least that that's what you would hope anything beyond that is purely a guess but um he was not in the locker room i was told post game visually for for reporters in there and um, you just hope the best for him. You hate this, and and to take people behind the curtain a little bit with reporting. In my mind, right before yesterday's game, for some reason, I had an itch. I was like, should I write this Benedict story? Because it was something he told us the day after the All Stars, after we all got back, and he was he he made this his mission. Um, you know, I want to play in All 82. I was like, wait, a lot of guys don't talk about this. You're adamant. Why? Why is this important to you? And then he brought up the quote that Anthony Edwards reiterated from Kobe back at All-Star Weekend. And so it's going to be a nice little short little vlog there. I didn't get to it. I did include it in my story here today overnight. But um, you just never know with these guys. And if it's up to him and if he could, there's no doubt in my mind he would play through it. But after seeing how his ankle rolled to the outside, which I'm sure you saw, I can't imagine him playing uh, anytime soon.
1: No, it looked pretty nasty. You know, sometimes guys get lucky and they can recover quicker than other people. Some people heal faster and stuff like that. But yep. yeah, I uh, I would say just play it cautious no matter what the situation is just because he's, you got to put him in bubble wrap at this point for this part of the season. You just don't want to risk anything. And if he plays on it with it being like 80% and he hurts it even worse, like that just does not seem like a good sign moving forward, especially for his career. And I think he's had a great rookie season. I mean, Nobody probably anticipated him having the impact that he had right away. Maybe some did, but it's just been really awesome to kind of see him grow as a player. And I'm curious because, you know, there's been a lot of talking points and we've talked about it on the podcast and stuff like that. Like, what does Ben Mather need to do to get more playing time? Why is he randomly getting benched or, or not playing a lot and stuff like that? But what areas have you seen Benedict Mather grow in throughout the season?
2: I think he surprised us all in his ability to get to the free throw line and continues to do that even better. I think he's going to learn tendencies of officials, who's going to call it, how they're going to call it, right? I think that's something no player has for several seasons, and so that's something that will come, I think, in time from him. Um, I, I'd like to see him and Tyrese get more time on the floor together. Um, on the, the negative side, I think more than anything, it's his decision-making um, and having lapses on defense. That's why you'll see quick timeouts from Rick. That's why you'll see him pull Ben, or maybe why Ben will sit the bench longer than maybe you had expected. Those are the areas where he's trying to really hammer home what this what this team is going to be ba- about moving forward. So uh, Ben's been great. I mean, his scoring average is actually down from what it was. Uh, now the fourth Uh, leading score on the team where i think for the most much of the year he was second Um, but he's he's had a fantastic rookie year and i would agree alex is there's no reason to force it here he does you know four more games this season doesn't make a big deal now if he can come back in two weeks great but i think you take the safe safe approach you go in and hopefully then he's healthy for a a big off season because players will always, always tell you generally you'll make the biggest strides more physical than anything but between year one and year two whereas all last off season you know coming out of college you're focused on the draft and training specifically for that you're going through all the pre-draft workouts then it's the draft then it's the summer league you're trying to get keep your head above water here he can really tap into a routine can get exactly the work he wants from the assistant coaches they will come and visit him wherever he is although it strikes me as Ben being a guy that will stay here in Indy for most of the summer I would guess I don't know that but um This is a big off season for him. So you need and want him to be healthy going into next year, where I believe then you start making significant progress in terms of the win and loss column.
1: He feels like a guy that's going to have a big jump next year. I don't, I don't know why, but I just feel like he's just going to be hungry to get better. And I think that if he can continue to like work on that three point shot, because that's kind of been the only thing that really needs to work offensively, in my opinion, in terms of scoring wise, it needs to be more consistent at, because it's like yep. he started off hot and then really got cold from three, and then he found ways to, you know, still get get points on the board without shooting the three point shot efficiently, and it was actually pretty bad in the percentages. Of, I think over January and December, maybe even February, I can't remember what his numbers were there shooting wise, but it had not been good, and so, you know, that's one area that he needs to get better on, obviously. I think Carlisle talked about being more of a, of a connector an offensive facilitator, not just always being a guy that can score doing different things. And same for Duarte and, and those kind of things. So that is a challenge of being young, but I love that there's a good chance he's going to stay here in the summer and get better because that just makes me excited. But there is kind of someone standing in his way in the starting lineup. It looks like it's buddy heel he'll be on expiring. And we kind of brought up the O'Shea factor, the James Johnson factor being great friends with Tyrese. I mean, Do you think there's a chance that Benedict Mathern probably comes off the bench again next year if Buddy Heald's still here?
2: I would be surprised by that. I'm actually probably in the minority here that I didn't mind it. I think it was great for this season, but now moving forward, after he understands the league, he knows what each venue is like. He knows tendencies of other players. Um, There's great value, I think, for a young guy like that to be able to sit on the bench to start games. and observe how this game is being played okay they're running this play a lot or this is their defensive set he can sit right next to the coaches or one of the veterans and they can talk him through what he's seen out there now that he's been been through it he should absolutely be a starter next year I have no problem with it to this point um and in terms of buddy I think first this offseason you could start signing Tyrese to an extension and It should be the max, and it's just a matter of Tyrese wants to sign it, I guess, this offseason. But then from there, um, it wouldn't surprise me to stay with Buddy. I mean, look, he's yeah, he's in his 30s now, but he's a shooter. He's reliable. Um, Rick needs more shooters. He he doesn't have enough shooters in his mind, right? Uh, And nor maybe will he ever be satisfied from that standpoint. So uh, depending on what type of deal you could cook up with Buddy and assuming, and I do believe he would, but assuming he'd be comfortable playing a little bit different role and coming off the bench more than likely than not Um, just because defensively, I think there's too much of a liability. If you did something like Tyrese and Benedict and buddy in the starting lineup, that's challenging from, from a defensive standpoint. But um, I I think you got to be open to all options. And the other big thing, like we just talked about probably five minutes ago, buddy's always available. That means something here because in the last five years, availability for players has not been good. And, Knock on wood, but hopefully he'll be the one pacer to play in every game this season.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's this there's this thought in my mind that's just like I would really like Buddy to come off the bench and kind of be that six-man veteran kind of guy, score that can put the ball in the basket. Doesn't mm-hmm. mean he can't play with Tyrese. I mean, they can still play plenty of minutes together, but just maybe not starting, let Matherin get that start and kind of shift him to a different role. But if I'm not mistaken, I think Buddy Heald even said that he likes starting versus not starting. So, I mean could that have an impact because I think there was a time where he was I don't know if it was just Sacramento that he hated in general but it just seemed like he didn't he didn't (laughs) like coming off the bench in Sacramento that much either
2: he's having a lot of fun here I think he loves his role I think he likes the situation the freedom to which Rick allows him to play that I think he would have an open mind I haven't discussed this with him lately so I I can't speak Mm -hmm. to that but as long as He and Tyrese, like you alluded to, got some time together because I think that's part of the reason Buddy's been so successful and why Miles and others are so successful is playing alongside Tyrese. So as long as you made sure they got some time together, 15 minutes per game, then I'd be good with that. If not, if you don't plan to pair those together, then I'd tend to probably move on from Buddy and and get other assets uh, of different kind because uh, if you remove kind of that gel that bonds those two, then I don't think it'll be nearly as successful.
1: Yeah, no, that that's true. And I mean, looking at the rest of the roster, I know that we can get, we can probably go through every player and talk about him to a certain extent, but I, I think one area we really need to look at here before I let you go, Scott, is just the play of Jalen Smith and Isaiah Jackson, but mostly Jalen Smith, I feel like, has really impressed since he started getting back into that rotation a little bit more, going back to that game on the road against Orlando. What have you noticed from Jalen Smith since he's returned consistently back to that lineup?
2: I'll be honest, not a ton from both of them. Just because, and this is this is speaking to that role. It is so tough for them and so tough for I think us to observe. Like there's no consistency. There's no routine. Um, you know, he has popped in from time to time and had a, a couple big blocks and then scored in double figures. But what you want to see is consistency there, and they're not consistently playing. Really, like, I thought the perfect example, right, Alex, was last game against Houston, where it's all right, Isaiah steps in replaces miles all right then in the third quarter maybe Isaiah is not playing as well so let's give Jalen the try at the backup four spots so now he steps up but uh, there that's such a difficult situation one that I'm going to take on in a writing form here coming up I talked with Jalen about this challenge a couple weeks ago and there he expressed some frustration as you would expect um And then I asked Miles about it as well last night uh, about this because I know he's addressed it with both of them and tried to provide some kind of advice uh, throughout this process. But I think it's so hard to examine what they're doing when what they're doing is playing essentially what has been every other game because I, I, I don't know. I just find that I almost rather one guy plays for a week, three games in a row than the next guy. Um, Mm -hmm. but I've, i personally, Alex found it really difficult to evaluate. How about you?
1: No, I'm right there in the same boat with you. And one thing that I'm kind of disappointed we haven't seen is maybe playing both of the bigs together again. Like we have, we've seen Jalen and miles enough that I think we can kind of say that that wasn't working. Yes, absolutely. I think there could be some interesting dynamics with Isaiah Jackson and miles Turner together, even if it's just for like three to four minutes in a game, like, what do you have to lose? Like, just try it, see what you have, because you know, both are really good rim protectors, both, you know, Isaiah is supposed to be a guy that when he was drafted, was able to guard fours on the perimeter. Now, I don't think he's at that point yet, but I do think that he's a little bit undersized for a five. So he's kind of in a weird spot where I think Jalen probably is more of a natural fit at the five. He's a better shooter than Isaiah, but he's got more of the five build. And I even think that some people compared him in college to being similar to Miles Turner when he was brought into the draft. So like, it doesn't like to me i just feel like the pacers have to figure out what they want to do with the backup center position in the off season and have to pick between one of the two and i know that sounds crazy but i just don't think it makes any sense to make one of them the third string center and not get them any ample playing time where they're really going to be growing and i think moving them to a situation where they could makes more sense and then just make your decision on who you want to be that backup center behind miles because at this point Like you said, the back and forth, it's not good for them. It's not good for the fans because nobody really knows, and the inconsistencies makes it hard for the lineup as well to have team chemistry.
2: Yep. Yeah, I would agree on all facets right there. I think you don't go into next season with both Jalen and Isaiah because the other thing we haven't even touched on is right now Daniel's actually the backup center. They're just not playing him Mm -hmm. just like they're not playing George Hill because – to their credit, they want to look ahead and get more of a uh, a bigger picture on what these other guys can produce. But I don't think it's fair to the team or uh, Jalen or Isaiah to bring them both back for next year. And you're right. You don't need to see Jalen and Miles together again. Uh, we saw enough of that for a couple dozen games. And the biggest concern in all that was, number one, Jalen, not a four, has played the five his entire life. Uh, but more than that, we saw defenses uh, defend it differently and, in turn, minimized what miles was able to do offensively because they would switch up their defense because of that. But yeah, it'd be game to see five to seven minutes of, of Isaiah as well as miles on the court together for some of these games wrapping up the season. That would be interesting. That would be another um, data point for Kevin Pritchard and his staff to consider in the off season.
1: Yeah. Or, or even Isaiah and Jalen to a certain extent, not the whole time. I mean, it depends on what kind of bench you're playing and who you're playing against, but like, Let's be honest. Look at this Detroit team, okay? They're a team that you could easily experiment with a little bit and see what you have out there. I mean, this is a team that's lost, like, what, 10-plus games in a row now? So they're not trying to win. They're actively losing games. Their their roster is not nearly as talented as the Pacers. So that's that. But, um, you know, I, I just want to wrap this up because there's a lot of different ways I want to go. But the way I want to wrap this up is something I said on our last podcast when we were recapping the Sixers in the Bulls game, and it's just like it felt that same way last night, kind of like uh, just kind of like remade my point, right? It feels like the Pacers always play to their level of competition. I'm curious. Yes, they do. And it's just like the last time they had a blowout win, I think was at home against Atlanta in December. I mean, they had had the game pretty much wrapped up against Orlando, but they still hung in there with them. Like it wasn't like a blowout win. So what is it about this team that makes them kind of be – so back and forth with what they are? I mean, is it just the youth?
2: I think, one, it's the natural tendency to get up for an opponent, you know, with the Lakers, the Warriors, a national TV game, anything like that. I think any player kind of has that natural tendency. But then I think after that, say you get up 18 and you're playing Houston, I think that's where the inexperience in youth probably kicks in. Uh, You know, a guy like George Hill and Daniel Tice know – this thing's got a long way to go when it's middle of the second quarter. But, you know, maybe that's not the case for Jordan Wara, who's been staring at the bench all game and, um, you know, w- previously with the Milwaukee Bucks and is now getting and making the most of a real opportunity or a guy like Aaron Neesmith back from injury. Guys like that who are playing great ball, by the way. Um, but I think it's just the tendency there of of easing up, getting out of your sets, maybe playing not to lose and, and not focusing on key areas. And I, I think, Every game we see Rick use at least a couple timeouts to kind of reset things. You know, they'll give up three straight w- terrible defensive possessions. And even early in last night's game, I noted in my running column, how, you know, oh they're up by 17, but Rick's using a timeout here because Matherin just gave up an offensive rebound for a put back on a second chance opportunity. And what did they lose that game on was second chance opportunities and points in the paint. So um, I, I think it's just those guys playing through experience. I, otherwise, I'm not sure what to completely label it because if I think it was known, they would try to get a handle on it there. But mm. I think it's just the youth stepping in. Um, the guys talked about after the game, Hey, yeah, you don't know these guys as well, um, but you can't take it for granted. They're a talented NBA team, yada, yada, yada. But for a couple quarters, it certainly didn't play like it. And then, this team isn't good enough to casually play. They have to be locked, and that's probably the other thing here is if you're just so much better talent-wise, you're gonna probably maintain that lead.
1: Yeah, and I think it kind of goes back to like what we saw without Tyrese. This team just looks totally different without him. And if he's not playing his A game, then you know maybe that's what's gonna happen. I think he really turned it on late in that game, and he was still having a really phenomenal game against the Rockets. Don't get me wrong, but you saw what happened when they played the Spurs without him. It's just like, yeah, they overlooked him, but still, like, that's just bad. That's a bad loss. I mean, so I just, especially if you're a team that's actively trying to win games to try to get into the play-in, you can't have nights off against teams like that. Even if you have a big win against Dallas, it kind of negates that when you lose to San Antonio in terms of trying to kind of solidify yourself as a team that is a a threat to some, some sort, you know, not saying like a, like like a title threat, but you know, a play in threat and a team that could maybe win a game or two and force their sneak their way into the playoffs. But, you know, it's, it's been a fun season. I will say it's been much more enjoyable than last season for sure. A lot of drama last year, lots of, you know, question marks on what was going to happen. And I think this year you're just kind of getting to see development. And that's been the most fun part of the season to me is just, the growth of Tyrese, the growth of Miles, Matherin kind of coming into his own. And then same with guys like Neesmith and and Nimhard, like really, really stepping up. So I I think that to me, Scott, I don't know if you agree or not, but that's probably the most fun part of the season.
2: I think for me, it's seeing Tyrese and really take hold of this franchise, both on and off the court and not just be about it. Or not just talk about it, rather, but be about it in all of his actions. And so that's been really impressive. I mean, I take a little thing like David Benner's memorial service. He didn't really know the guy. I mean, he was together over for maybe two months. But I believe, he didn't say this to me, but I believe as the face of the franchise, he knew he not only had to be there, but then later that day, he hadn't spoken about him because he was injured in San Antonio when it all went down um, from afar he made a point in the middle of the interview to interrupt us and go, Hey guys, I actually have one more thing I need to say because I haven't spoken on it. And I know this is a big deal for the franchise. So I think him taking hold of this franchise and then the joy that he plays with. And as a result, the team plays with that. Those are the two overriding things that have made this season uh, more of a success than anybody could have imagined.
1: Mm, Yeah, it's, it's been awesome to see Tyrese for sure. But Scott, Want to thank you for your time. Go ahead and let people know once again where they can find you at on social media and please plug anything that you have over at Fieldhouse Files.
2: Yeah, appreciate it. Just add Scott Agnes on Twitter and uh Instagram as well and, and fieldhousefiles.com. Join me on there, either paid or free. And uh Fieldhouse Files podcast. And uh got a lot a lot in the works. Certainly. And that's the one good benefit of the team going on the road here is it allows me to kind of settle in and attack some of these stories that I've been working on for a while. And, and one, I will note one, because I hate that the Pacers post the entire practice availability because it doesn't make sense to fans. But yes, I'm, I'm working on this big feature on Tyrese Talburton and his passion for fashion. There was a big event in Bloomington. I was the only one there able to write about it. And so I was getting my questions from there. But I saw a couple of people on YouTube like, bro, we don't care about this. What are you talking about? Well, (laughs) you will once you have the full context of the situation here. So that's what that's about. uh, But plenty other stories to come as well.
1: (laughs) I will be excited to hear about that because I am very fascinated by some of the choices he wears with his clothes and Sure. So
2: his buddy, he gave him a hard time at practice. He was like, bro, all you do is wear big clothes that don't fit and look bad. <laughs> and Tyrese is like, buddy, you have no style whatsoever. Like those two have a wonderful brotherly relationship. Oh, yes. They man. get down each other's throats on the court in in and fun and also purely pissed at each other, but that's what makes their relationship fun. And that continued to be the case at practice the other day when talking about something, not even basketball related.
1: Oh, man. Yeah, I'm definitely going to be on buddy's side on that one. Some of the clothes <laughs> are very interesting. The big baggy pants that are open at the end. I think those are parachute pants. I'm not sure, but uh, whatever. I, I don't i don't know much about fashion. I just I like I like my pants to be tapered. I don't like them to be baggy <laughs> at the bottom. It's just how I am, Scott. But uh, awesome stuff, you. man. Awesome stuff. man. we'll be checking that out. And thank you again for coming on. And we'll probably have you on again soon, Scott. Thank you.
2: All right. Thanks, Alex.
1: All right everybody joining us now for our fan of the week. He is a basketball coach himself. It is Clint Rossler. Clint, how you doing, man? I'm great. How you doing? I I'm doing awesome, man. So we've not been doing the fan of the week as consistently as we'd like to do. So thank you so much for being willing and able to come on today for that. Afachi uh want me to let you know that he misses not being a part of this, but he is traveling right now. So let's just get into it. The Pacers, it's been a fun season. Obviously, I- I believe you've been a Pacers fan for a while now. So talk to me about your Pacers fandom and how that all got started.
3: Um, I think growing up, uh, it's just always been on my TV. Uh, basketball's always just been a part of my life. I just, you know, I started young. Um, and, you know, I grew, grew to love the Pacers, uh, idolized Reggie Miller. I'm in that age group where I got to watch some of Reggie's greatest games. Um, you know, Rick Smith, Dale, the Davis guys, and, and Mark Jackson, Jalen Rose. Um, I actually I have a three year old. His name is Jalen because of Jalen oh, wow. Rose, and so you know I've just grown up. I've watched a lot of amazing games. I've watched this team absolutely change from you know title contenders to bottom feeders, back to relevance again with Paul George and Danny Granger, and and so it's just been a a real up and down, as as you're aware of.
1: Yeah, for sure, it's been a roller coaster ride. But I think that's pretty much every franchise. You go through your highs oh, yeah. and your lows, and. We had some pretty good highs there for quite a while, and I think the Reggie Miller era was uh one of the most important eras of, of all of Pacers basketball, if not the most important. So it's uh it's drawn a lot of fans in from all over the world to like the Pacers. So that's really awesome. Now, let me ask you this in, in terms of your favorite players, I guess it's kind of hard to just pick one. So if you have just one and it's Reggie, I get it, but Maybe give me like a Mount Rush more of your favorite players and then kind of like tell me your favorite.
3: Um, you know, obviously, if you're a Pacers fan and you don't pick Reggie, I think you're lying. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you yeah, know, I, I really liked Jalen Rose, I liked what he brought to the team. Um, you know, I thought that he added another score to to that team and, and was tough to guard. And, and mm-hmm. um, so he would probably be my number two. Um, you know, I, I had some tough feelings for Paul George for a long time, and I think a lot of Pacers fans did, but I'm completely over that. It's gone and done. Um, you know, Paul George has to be on there. There were okay. some absolute battles um, yeah. with, with Miami for a while and, and some really fun games to watch in the playoffs against them and then how close we were. And, and, you know, if LeBron's not not in Miami, you know, we, we might. Who knows, you know? Yeah. Um, and then uh, – Gosh, I—it's I, been not—he's not not been there for very long, but man, Tyrese Halliburton. Okay. Oh my goodness, keep like he, hes just won my heart over already. I think. So it looks like you're a guard kind of guy. Uh, I am a guard guy.
1: So you're not a you're not a big Jermaine O'Neal fan.
3: Oh, I do love Jermaine O'Neal. Um, you know, I think uh, I had a <laughs> Jermaine O'Neal jersey. I still think I have a, that Jermaine O'Neal jersey somewhere. Um, yeah. You know, I have a Rick Smith shirt, uh, the Duncan Dutchman shirt. Um, I, I you know, Roy Hibbert was huge for us for a long time. Yeah. Um, Miles Turner is absolutely blossoming and been yeah. amazing this year. So we've had, you know, our fair share of great big guys along, along with great guards.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I, I guess since I got your, your Mount Rushmore players, Is there a team that you just gravitated to more? Because I know some people might say with the Reggie era, but what if it was the Paul George era? I don't know. What if it was this era? I'm just curious. Is there a team that you've just found yourself super connected with?
3: Um, I I think, um, you know, if I go back and look at the Pacers teams that I've watched, um, you know, the lineup with Mark Jackson and and Reggie Miller and and Jalen Rose and the Davis guys and Rick Smith, like that one's the one I gravitate to. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, it's it's just so hard because basketball changes so often. Um that era was really fun. Um, the era with Paul George and George Hill, um, Roy Hibbert and David West. Um that, that era was really fun. Um, you know, this era last year was was tough sometimes, but this era has just been really fun and I, I'm excited to see where this young group goes. Mm-hmm. Um so I think it just keeps evolving. Um and it's just, just tough for me to pick just one era. But I guess you know, the, the two thousands, early two thousands okay. era.
1: Yeah. The finals there. That's, that's hard to beat that one. Oh, yeah. So good. Late nineties, early two thousands. But mm-hmm. uh, speaking of this young team, what are your thoughts on this team? Because at this point, I think everybody is probably a little bit surprised that they are where they are. So maybe just give me your thoughts on, on what you th- thought of this team so far this season.
3: Uh, coming out of the gate. Uh, yeah, I don't think anybody was expecting what they started this year out looking like, um, you know, I think they kind of fell fell back a little bit, which is okay. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't necessarily hate when they lose games. I guess for for future purposes, <laughs> yeah. but I also like watching them win games too. So it's a real love hate yeah. relationship there. Um, I, I think, and I've read you know stuff from you guys and other people on on Twitter, and, and I just I feel like they're really really close to doing something, uh, maybe one or two pieces away, you know, maybe a big. A big swing this offseason could could mean something next year that that, uh, we haven't seen for a minute.
1: Yeah, I think that they're in a good position to continue to better the roster. I don't think it's going to get any worse. And I think with Tyrese Halliburton at the head of the snake, you're, you're going to be in good hands no matter what decisions you make. Because I think he can mask a lot of maybe bad decisions or not great decisions as well just because of his ability to just make everybody look so important and so valuable to this team because that's what he does. He gets everybody involved. So, you know, maybe, maybe I'm a bit of a hot take there by me by saying that, but you get the point. It's just like, when you have Halliburton at the head of everything, you kind of live with what you got. And I think there's got to be bigger swings because that's where we got to get to. But, you know, at this point, I think you're in a great position. He's not even on his max contract yet. I think we'll have next year too on that rookie scale deal before he hits the max probably. So, you know, I just think you just got to keep riding it out while you can. But um, any hot takes that you got?
3: I uh, man, I really just think that they're going to sneak into that tenth spot this year. Oh, that's your hot take. That's in. a terrible hot take. I mean, <laughs> I, I guess I don't know. I there's a part of me that thinks that okay, they're gonna they're gonna lose enough games that they're not going to be in that. But I, I think that they could potentially be that tenth seed and honest to God, I think they could win if they're healthy, if, if not, not win everything, but win that, that, uh, playoff series and, and that first to game versus nine. Yeah. And, uh, then play in a seven game series after that.
1: Oh, so you think and they could win
3: both playing games? And I do. Playoffs. I really do. Okay, and, and, uh, I guess that's my biggest, it's not yeah. much of a swing, but Hey,
1: that's more of a hot take than I thought you just saying, getting the 10 spot. That's so why I was like, that's not really much of a hot take. That's a bad <laughs> hot take. But no, I mean, them winning the play in tournament and getting in as a eight seed. I mean, okay, I, I respect it. Do you want to see that or do you want to see the lottery?
3: That's that love hate relationship there. I know, I, I I get never, you. I'd rather see the lottery in the long run, but playoff basketball is really fun to watch. Is it? I mean, Did you get swept. Well, <laughs> and you have no, no chance against the Bucks. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, that's that's not fun to watch. Um I'm just
1: asking. I mean, they they've played the Bucks decent this season. They played Philly decent. They played Boston decent. So maybe it would be more of a competitive series, but I just feel like this team's holes are easy to poke if you play them oh, in a four-game yeah. series compared to just one game on the schedule for the regular season.
3: Yeah, I agree. Um I'd rather us I'd rather us get that that lottery chance than watch us get swept in the playoffs for sure.
1: Yeah, no, I, I get you. And that's kind of where I'm at, too. So it's not like I don't want them to make the playoffs. It's just like circumstantial wise, like I just feel like the circumstances here to go to the lottery are better for us than jumping the gun, I guess you could say, and getting blown yeah. out and getting our, you know, face smashed in by, right. by the defending champs or, uh, or excuse me, two years ago, defending champs the Milwaukee Bucks and the team that made it to the finals last year in Boston. I mean, it's just those are talented teams for a reason, but uh, I guess we can wrap this up. Is there anything else you'd like to ask me or maybe anything you'd like to share?
3: Um, I guess what, what, with asking you, um, you know, you asked for my um, top-tier players or whatever. I guess who's your favorite all-time since we're around the same age? Who's okay. your favorite all-time player? On the Pacers? Yeah.
1: Man, that's tough. You know, like you said, there's a lot. I think – I got into basketball like as Reggie's career was coming to an end. I think you're probably in the same boat. So it's kind of like I really liked the Ron Artest, Jermaine O'Neal team because that was a team that was like on the rise. But because of all the chaos that went down, I-, I slowly grew away from them. I honestly think when I really started getting into the Pacers was the Danny Granger era. So I would have to say, like, personally, like, Danny kept me super interested, even though the team was terrible, and we had the yeah. Dunleavy, Troy Murphy, Travis yeah. Diner team, like, you're talking about guys, I mean, the fact that they won 38 games is impressive, say the least, but I just loved the way Danny played, and then obviously when Paul George was drafted and he kind of took over, like, yeah, I was like, that was my favorite player at the time, but going into that, Danny Granger was the guy that kept me locked in during my high school time, so I don't I don't usually say it enough, but I think we gotta give Danny Granger just a lot of props for what he did for this franchise. Especially making the all-star game, stuff like that. Like if injuries didn't hold him back, I think they have a much better chance taking down Miami because I think that first year when they played Miami in the second round, Miami was still kind of figuring themselves out. We had Danny Granger there. We lost in six, but I think if Paul George had maybe just been one year older and one more year experience, I
3: think that's the year we probably would have got him. Yeah, we've we've missed a lot of things just just by a little bit. I feel like. Yeah, yeah. So other than that, I, I don't have
1: anything else to ask. you. Is there anything else you want to say?
3: Well, you mentioned you mentioned Ron Artest, so I'll ask you. Um, you know that whole thing happened. He left. Um, I'm sure you probably watched the documentary on Netflix, and he talked about it. Um, and he's been pretty vocal, Pacer fan on Twitter for. What what's your feelings towards Ron Artest now?
1: Oh, I mean. I love the guy still. I mean, honestly, I didn't hate him that much either because I was so young when it happened that I wasn't, like, personally affected. I was just like, man, that's really sad. Requesting a trade to me at the time, I just th- didn't realize how big of a deal that was in the NBA. Yeah. But, you know, honestly, I was more mad about the trade they made for getting Paige Stoyakovich because, like, why would you trade a guy for a guy on an expiring? That doesn't make any yeah. sense to me. So I understand Ron probably had a lot of baggage and there probably weren't a lot of suitors out there for him. But if I'm not mistaken, and I've I've heard this from different people before, but it's not been in, like, any writing anywhere. So I I don't know if it's how true it is or not. But I've I've heard that the Nuggets were going to take Carmelo Anthony for Ron Artest in a trade at that time because they were close. And so I was like, man, we could have had Melo in his prime on the Pacers. Like, how awesome would that have been? But at the same time, I don't know how real that is. So, I mean, it could just be me having a dream. But, no, I, I really do believe somebody told me that that was close around the team at the time. And I I can't remember um, how real or not that was, but the whole page of thing was an experiment in itself and it happened and, you know, we move on from it. But I think at the end of the day, it's, it's cool to see our test embracing Indiana Yeah, because he does, he does feel remorse for what happened. Yeah. I agree with that. So awesome, man. Well go ahead, Clint, and let people know where they can find you on social media And plug anything that you'd like to plug, whether it's your basketball team or anything like that.
3: Oh, gosh. You can find me on Twitter at Crosser3. I coach a little 1A school, Duggar Union. Uh, They went back to, they were in the state championship back in 2000. Um, And it's my first year going into second year next year there. Um, You guys can find me on Instagram. I'm not that exciting of a human being. I just, (laughs) a lot of basketball stuff. So if you're into basketball, you can check me out there. All right, and what's your favorite Pacers podcast? Oh man, setting the pace.
1: There we go. All right, man. We'll talk to you later. Thank you. And that does it for another episode here of Setting the Pace. Thank you all so much for listening. If you've made it this far, go to Twitter. If you're not already, follow us at Setting the Pace Three. I'm at Alex Golden NBA. My co-host Mike Facci, underscore facci. You can find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk, over at TikTok and Facebook at Setting the Pace you can go to youtube.com slash setting the pace of pacers podcast and subscribe to our channel and let us know what you think and other than that if you're excited for the indiana pacers basketball season to end with tyrese halliburton potentially and hopefully breaking the regular season record of mark jackson's then hit me with those three words let's go pacers
3: setting the pace going to the top and the pace going to the top this is your number one podcast sweeping every team we going need a mop Smooth.
0: this is the story of the one as a maintenance engineer he hears things differently